A little bouncer slowly toward Bryant. He will glove it and throw to Rizzo. It's in time. And the Chicago Cubs win the World Series. I remember running home from school, turning on the TV to the Cubs game, sitting with my dad to watch his heroes. Welcome to the World Series Dreaming Chicago Cubs Dreamcast. Not affiliated with the actual Chicago Cubs, but just a bunch of guys who love the local nine and enjoy talking baseball and, of course, the 2016 World Series champion Cubs. Hi, I'm Ken. I'm also known as Rice Cube on Twitter and on the World Series Dreaming. With me is my compatriot, Andy, who is behind the Ivy. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. How are you guys? All right. Uh, we finally saw some actual spring weather. It only took, like, most of April and, you know, into May. But finally, we got baseball weather, and my guys are actually able to play now. Yeah, uh finally warmed up up here in Wisconsin a little bit too. I think we hit some warm weather before the Chicago area. Yeah. But been been just as miserable and cold up here. Yeah. And I, I know like the hockey playoffs are going on. The basketball playoffs are going on. Like LeBron's going nuts as we speak, I guess. But uh, yeah, like I, I don't have cable, so I can't really watch them. So I think uh, I'll have to wait until their finals, but Thankfully, the baseball season is underway, and there's been a lot of really cool things happening with uh, baseball. Uh, our Cubs, our Chicago Cubs, are clawing their way back to first place, even though they've had like a recent scuffle. Uh, I think we could talk about the offense, though, because the pitching is mostly fine, other than you, Darvish, having the yips or whatever is happening to him. And then we could talk about some miscellaneous baseball things. So how's that for a plan, sir? I love this plan. I'm excited to be a part of it. Let's do it. Hey, it works for me. As the spring gave away to summer, past the ivy-colored dreams, toward the days that kept us yearning for tomorrows. All right. So, uh, at this time, the Cubs are in their off day, and that's when we're recording. I believe they are five games over 500. It's either four or five games over 500 at the moment. It's four over. They're 16 and 12 as we record. Oh, man. Okay. So Half game game behind St. Louis, who is 17 and 12, and Mm. a full game behind Milwaukee, who is 19 and 13, so one back in the loss column. Yeah, and I, I think uh, because the Cubs had so many early season postponements that they have, basically have games in hand to try to catch up, so that's something that they have an advantage on that the uh, other teams don't. So I'm not, like, super worried, especially since, what is it, like 30 games? Uh, the Cubs haven't even gotten to 30 games yet, so I, I think they have plenty of time, and that's what something I wrote recently when I actually had time. But, uh, yeah, I'm just – I'm happy that they're doing better than 500. I'm not so happy that it's been just so frustrating to watch and follow as a Cubs fan because you know how good they can be, but they're not doing as well as they should be. 
And thankfully, I think like, you know, the manager, the players, the front office, they have all the good perspective. They say, you know, this isn't the end of the world. It's only like 30 games. Uh, we don't have a lot of data right now, so we'll freak out when it comes time to freak out. Uh, yeah, I actually tweeted last night something about the Cubs record because it was interesting. And it was because I came across something that shouldn't surprise me because they're not bad, but the Atlanta Braves are in first place in the NL East. Yeah. They're, they're 18 and 11. So the Cubs have played twice against the Atlanta Braves. They played eight games against the Milwaukee Brewers who are 19 and 13. Mm-hmm. They've played, they played St. Louis. Mm-hmm. They've played the Cleveland Indians who are in first place at 16 and 13. And then they've played Miami and Cincinnati and Colorado. Colorado is two games over 500. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if you look at if you look at the Cubs schedule, the teams they've played against to this point, or at the point that I tweeted it, were all told three games over 500. And if you remove the one game that they played against Cincinnati, who is 17 under, everybody else is 20 over 500. Mm-hmm. And that included the Marlins, who are, you know, as we said, eight games out or eight under. So the Cubs have played this remarkably difficult schedule over the first month, and they're four games over 500. Yeah. And you combine that with it took until they went to Denver to actually play an entire outdoor series as it was scheduled. Yeah, so many rain outs and snow outs and just ridiculousness going on. Like, you know, I, I've had to deal with it with my own high school I'm coaching right now, and we've had so many cancellations and postponements and reschedulings. It's not even funny. And, you know, it kind of goes into me, like, wondering, well, if they were going to renovate Wrigley Field, maybe they should have built a dome, but that would have been, like, uh, logistically difficult. So it's just something we got to deal with as Midwest baseball fans. But yeah, it's it's basically messed with their rhythm. And I guess uh, if you don't have the kind of rhythm that you need, uh, you kind of expect a little bit of rust here and there. But uh, yeah, there's some performances that I, I feel like they are so subpar that at some point you're going to get some positive regression. And now they're really going to take off. So now you're looking at the pitching, which has been splendid, uh, other than the fact that, well, you know, we were losing to to, uh, Colorado the other day, and suddenly, like, the bullpen coughs up, like, six runs. And it's just one of those things that kind of happens to any bullpen, right? Yeah. And, look, like, there's going to be some regression in the bullpen. They weren't going to have this – sub one or whatever insane ERA it was. Yeah. So the Cubs probably weren't winning that game that they lose 11 to two anyway. Yeah. So if the, if the bullpen wants to cough up a half dozen runs in a game that they're not going to win, so be it. it. It's better that they cough the game or cough up the runs in a game. They probably not going to win either way than yeah. to cough them up in a game that's close or a game that isn't so close that those runs allowed makes it close and they could potentially lose that way. 
Yeah, I do like the part where basically everybody just said, well, that game sucked, so we're going to throw in the trash and we'll just go into the off day with a good attitude. Like, Wilson Contreras got married. Uh, that was kind of funny. Like, my wife was showing me on the Instagram, and we were just like, oh, okay. Uh, he went to the church house just like Albert and Mara did. They, they got married, and now they're happy. So, yay. And uh, I, I guess they're doing their thing. Like, uh, they, they've given a lot of money f to build fields around Chicago. They've given money to other uh, aspects of Chicago community. So it's uh, kind of cool how they're just like, well, you know, we know it was frustrating for the fans, but we're just going around business as usual, and we'll just keep going over this. But there are some things, like in The Athletic, they were saying that, like, a lot of the contact has been soft, and they're also striking out at a goofy rate. And there, there's a lot of things that I think, uh, even if we recognize small sample size, we should sort of be concerned about, like, Ian Happ striking out so much. Uh, they're Anthony Rizzo still coming back from his back injury and not uh, doing as well as we expected Anthony Rizzo to do. Uh, the offense essentially doesn't go if Anthony Rizzo doesn't go. So it's one of those things that, like, you want to wait and see what's going on. But at some point, probably not now, but maybe mid-June, if this doesn't fix itself, then there, it's something that we definitely have to look at and well, not we, because I don't run the team, but, you know, they, they should look at. I would be far more concerned about some of the offensive stuff if they didn't play in absolute garbage weather up until basically this last Monday. Mm -hmm. you know, it was, it's It's been cold. It's been windy. It's been... You know, up until about two weeks ago, like, the actual ability to get out and play has been super inconsistent. And at the end of the day, it's 28 games. Like, we're not yeah. even 20 – we're not even 20% of the way through the season. Mm -hmm. You know, there's, there's so much time left. And, you know, you mentioned Anthony Rizzo. Anthony Rizzo's average exit velocity is about 90, which, all told, isn't too terrible. Yeah. You know, he's, like, hit, he's hit a ton of balls super hard into into lineouts and into into the shift, into into the wind, probably. Yeah, into the wind. So he's he's due some positive regression. You know, I I made mention the other night his home run on I want to say Tuesday. Yeah. When he let off when he let off the game, that was that had a 1% chance of being a hit. Yeah, and it still so blew out, hit, yeah. The guy's hitting this so much bad luck that he kind of deserved it. Yeah. So, you know, Anthony Rizzo, he's a guy who's absolutely the least of my problems. You know, Chris Bryant, after coming back from getting hit, he he hadn't really hit a ton. I'm not necessarily worried about his ability to hit. Um. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Ian Happ and the strikeouts. You know, they, that's that's more concerning than than some of the other stuff. But at the same time, it's easy to kind of sit him and to pick your spots with him to help him get out of that. Mm -hmm. He is still a young player. It's his first major league season. So I don't think we should have expected what we did. And I definitely don't think we should have expected – 
him to take hold of being the center fielder and leadoff hitter for, mm-hmm. you know, the next four or five years based on a spring training. And that's kind of what it felt like was happening. Yeah. Like, I, I think we still sort of believe in Albert Omora. I don't think Albert is going to be a leadoff hitter uh, permanently, but he's made a bunch of improvements. Like, you know, it's still kind of frustrating to see him swing at the first pitch and pop it up or, you know, ground to short. But the guy's got, like, you know, a really good glove, and he also seems to have good bat-on-ball skills. So I – you know, it's not the worst thing in the world to have a struggling Ian Happ and replace him with Albert Almora, knowing how good Albert can be. Uh, yeah, Albert Almora has never been a big walks guy. Like, that's one of the big differences between him and a lot of the players that the Cubs mm-hmm. have looked to acquire. He's never been a big walk guy. He he does a much better job against left-handed pitching. Mm-hmm. And his on-base percentage is always going to be at least primarily driven by his batting average. I don't know that it, that makes you a, a prime leadoff candidate. I could see him fitting in well towards the bottom of the order, that seventh, eighth type hitter, mm-hmm. more than leadoff. But I understand why Joe Madden rode that hot hand while it was going on. Yeah. You know, the same with Javi Baez hitting second. The offense was super productive with those guys when they were – when they were hot and they were hitting. So, you know, it, it paid off for a little while and it helped with Rizzo not being quite himself. And then Chris Bryant missing some time. Yeah. Uh, I feel like at some point though, they would, they would both scoot down the bottom to the bottom of the order because of the, how swing happy they are. Cause at some point they are going to cool down and it seems like it's already started, but then again, it's only been like a few games, right? So you you don't really know. Like, you know, baseball players are streaky by nature, and uh, maybe they have turned the corner, and maybe it's just like a run of bad luck, which you're often going to find in in most baseball seasons. You're just going to see, like, a team look like crap for about a week, and then they'll go back to being awesome again. Uh, Yeah, I think – when we talk about guys like Elmora and Baez, they kind of are who they are. I think Albert Elmora has a pretty strong grasp of the strike zone. Mm-hmm. So I, I I feel like there's still an opportunity for him to develop into a guy whose walk rate increases to that 8 or 9% area. I don't ever see him being that 11 12% walker like a Rizzo or a or Chris Bryant, maybe. Mm-hmm. Javi Baez, I think if, you know, he, he's made a ton of strides. The thing that that's so impressive about Javier Baez is how much he continues to grow as a hitter. Yeah. Uh, just as a pure hitter, he's not, you know, he still takes that wild swing for Milwaukee swing at times, but his his overall approach has improved quite a bit in the last couple of years. And you combine that with how good he is defensively, his ceiling is still as an absolute superstar. Yeah. And he isn't there yet. Through the good times and the bad times, we stood beside you every day. Till now our dreams have gone. You, you got 
So let's uh, switch the other side of the of the diamond. Uh, you Darvish obviously is the big big ticket uh, starter that the Cubs got. Uh, he's having basically John Lester's first year as a Cub disease right now. And it's so weird uh, because his stuff looks great. He looks healthy. He's, he's got premium velocity. He's just missing his spots for some reason and uh, not getting swings and misses. And it's like you, you, you can't really figure out why that is right now. Um, yeah, his swinging strike percentage has, in large part, over its career lived in that 12 to 13% range, pretty much between 12 and 13. It dipped down to about 11 in 2014 before he had Tommy John surgery. Right now it's nine and a half. Mm -hmm. so, so way under what he's used to. That, along with his first strike percentage, is, is down. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's more contact against him. You know, batters are swinging less on him. They're making more contact, not getting the swing and miss that he's accustomed to. The the things that are interesting, though, like if you look at his, his batted ball stance against, mm -hmm. they're not terribly different than they have been in the past. A little bit more line drives, um, fly ball right is about the same. Soft contact is about the same. Hard contact is actually down on him. Hmm. So it's a lot. Of, it's a lot of medium contact. Uh, strike. He's still getting the strikeouts. Uh, his K per nine is a little over eleven. It's it's really the walks that are concerning, and then the home runs. Mm -hmm. The home run to fly ball ratio being twenty percent. That's not going to live forever. That's going to come down, probably down to that, you know, ten to fifteen percentage range that he's been accustomed to in his career and you know his career high for walks per nine is his first season mm -hmm. at 4.19 otherwise he's lived in the mid threes or under three I would expect to see that come back a little bit too before we end the season yeah and uh, some of this apparently uh, I probably missed most of this because I've been busy lately, but I did catch a glimpse of people clamoring for Chris Jimenez to be called up as a personal catcher. And I'm kind of ambivalent on that because we kind of know that, well, first of all, he is a veteran catcher. He's probably got good framing skills and he knows how to call a ball game. But at the same time, like, he doesn't exactly have a bat. So I, I guess uh, my question is, how much of an impact would calling up a veteran catcher have for this team? I feel like, before you answer, uh, my idea is, well, Wilson Contreras is still growing as a player. He's growing as a catcher. He obviously has the arm. He has the ability. He seems to stab at the ball too much. And especially when we can't have robot umpires right now, like stabbing at the ball will kind of cloud their perception of the strike zone and therefore steal strikes away from the pitcher that obviously sh should be called strikes. But at the same time, uh, he's now getting like a mentor who can teach him how to better catch these people, uh, these pitchers who have like premium stuff that move all over the place. 
And then you also have the opportunity to send Caratini back to Iowa where he can play every day and he can further develop as a catcher as well. So there's that. And, uh, you know, that, that's basically my thought on the matter. I don't know what necessarily they will do, but I feel like it can't hurt. But also I don't know how much it will necessarily help. I mean, you look at you Darvish's stats with Chris Jimenez behind the plate. He's he's got a seven nineteen OPS allowed and a three twenty nine ERA in seventy nine and a third innings. Hmm. So kind of you know the the numbers against him are a little high. The two fifty batting average, three oh eight on base, four eleven slugging. Right. Uh, a little bit higher. Uh not quite as high as where he is in these six starts with Wilson Contreras. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the catcher he's actually thrown to the most is by quite a bit, Giovanni Soto. Ha, that's that's a name. <laughs> and interestingly enough, throwing to Giovanni Soto has worked out to a 283 ERA at 165 and a third innings, hmm. which is actually pretty close to a qualified starter for a full season and a 598 OPS allowed. Now, don't construe this as me going, the Cubs need to go get Giovanni Soto to catch you, Darvish. Yeah. Is he but, even healthy right now? Like, he's. He, I, I, I'm, I'm going to guess no. Yeah, I'm getting absolutely no shot that Giovanni Soto's healthy because he hasn't been healthy since 2008. Yeah. So, so I think mm-hmm. I think the thing that I'm trying to to point out here is that you know a catcher sample sizes you know apart from really Giovanni Soto and it looks like Jonathan Lucroy. Hmm. That's right. He was a Ranger for a little bit. But even throwing the Lucroy, he had a 4.11 ERA and 129 in the third innings. Mm-hmm. The other stuff looks like that may the ERA may have been a little bit fluky. But what I think the point is, you know, go get Chris Jimenez up because, you know, you Darvish is used to throwing to him. He hasn't even thrown him 80 innings. Hmm. It there isn't a big sample to to judge that on. Yeah. So it it'll take some time to work out Wilson Contreras and you Darvish and you Darvish isn't easy to catch. Yeah. yeah. He's got a lot of goofy pitches that fly all over the place. It's fun to watch when he's on, but when he's off, it's just like, well, they're not in the zone. So yeah, here's another walk, right? So uh, yeah, uh, I feel like at some point they'll get on the same page, like you said, and you know this front office and this coaching staff I believe are are just too good and too intelligent to let something like this slide for too long and you know we we talked about John Lester earlier he was another big big money signing and he struggled early and the Cubs fans freaked out because they were like oh man Theo Epstein and Jeff Hoyer made a mistake and it's it's frustrating because I feel like every year we we have to kind of kind of put out the fire a little bit because of the fact that baseball is such a long game. Like you have to play the long game if you're 
going to be a an objective baseball observer. But uh, yeah, it, it's hard to fight human emotion in these things. Like they should be in this game, they should win this game. But then you realize, oh well, they're going to lose sixty no matter what. So uh, we'll just have to deal with it. Yeah, I don't think the John Lester comparison is really fair to John Lester. Uh-huh. Like if you go back, if you go back and look at John Lester's first, you know, however many starts of the Cub, where it felt like he was giving up a lot of runs, uh-huh. the peripherals were all still there. You yeah. know, the the fielder independent pitching and you know all of those things were kind of there. They're not terribly far away with you, Darvish, either, to be honest. Uh-huh. But you know, I think we've got, we've crossed to the point of absurdity with you Darvish like oh well he can't pitch in big games and we're seeing that now I'm like the Cubs haven't played a big game yet and arguably the two biggest games that you Darvish has pitched for the Cubs have been against the Brewers who was a chief divisional rival and he dominated in those games yeah um you know he's he's obviously struggling he hasn't really pitched in ideal conditions yet either though you know, his first starts in Miami, that that place is enormous. And you give up a bunch of soft contact, and you get cheap base hits that fall in. You know, then he goes to Milwaukee in ideal conditions and pitches very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, so, yeah. Pitches against Atlanta, pitches in Colorado, again against Milwaukee, pitched very well. And then this last week, I believe yesterday, against Colorado, so, so the, probably the best conditions he started in were indoors in Miami, indoors in Milwaukee, and then I wouldn't even say yesterday's condition with the wind blowing as hard out as it was. And this is a guy who spent the vast majority of his career in Japan, where most games are played indoors. Texas, right. which which isn't as challenging to pitch in, and Los Angeles. So is there an adjustment to a guy who's not quite used to pitching in springtime? And I use that term loosely in the upper Midwest. Yeah, there probably is. It's not easy to pitch in these conditions anyway. Right. It definitely can't be easy for a guy who just got a big contract who's never pitched in them before. Yeah, there's a lot of extenuating circumstances, and I, I still am pretty confident that they'll figure it out. I am very happy for the most part with the, the rotation, like even though they give up like, you know, handfuls of solo home runs and then the offense can't come back. It's still nice to know that these guys are putting up quality start after quality start. And I feel like, uh, hopefully he proves me right, but I feel like you, you Darvish will make the adjustment and by the next start or two, and it'll be more consistently awesome. But uh, yeah, he, he, he just basically has to play the game and and just keep going out there and making sure that hopefully someone, you know, if he makes the pitches, Wilson or Victor Caratini can frame the pitches. If he, it, yeah, if, if he just like throws what he wants, you know, when he wants. I, I feel like they could probably work with the sequencing a little bit. They could probably work with the game calling. They can make sure that they get on the same page. Uh, it's so nuanced that I don't think we can really discuss uh, it that well in just one podcast, but I feel like there's a lot of solutions that are going in 
on the in the minds of people who are way smarter than me. Uh, yeah, I I think um, the guy's track record and his stuff they're they're too good to make sweeping judgments based on a handful of starts in mostly not ideal playing conditions. Mm-hmm. So so to make any any sweeping assessment of of what he is at this point. You know, I think it's the same for a pitcher or, you know, anybody at this point in the season. It is for the team. It's, you know, 28 games. And for a starting pitcher, it's, you know, six. We're starting to creep up to that seventh start. Mm-hmm. You know, this the guy, all things, you know, hopefully the guy makes 26 more starts this year. So he's not even a quarter of the way through the season. Yeah. You know, just allowing just allowing him to continue to work and, and be himself, I think those numbers probably normalize. I'll allow for the possibility that they don't, and this is what he is, at least this year, and that yeah. would obviously be a devastating development for the Cubs' rotation, but I think it's way too early to make any sweeping judgments on who you Darvish is at this point after his track record as a major league pitcher. Yeah, and so his last start, which was uh... – on Wednesday, he only lasted four four and a third innings, so that's 13 outs. But of those 13 outs, eight of them were strikeouts. And this is not a bad op- Rockies offense that he's facing against, like even if D.J. LeMahieu is on the shelf. But D.J. LeMahieu is a different story altogether. He's still a good player. It's just I don't think he's as good as people th- make him out to be. But, you know, you got Charlie Blackman, who was like one of my – primo free agent targets if he hadn't signed that in, uh, extension with the, the Rockies uh, recently. You got like a bunch of decent-ish young players. You got Nolan Arenado. Like we make fun of him, but he's not like a terrible player, even if he does benefit from cores. Uh, so there's a lot of good bats in that lineup that Darvish had to face, and he still struck them out eight times in his 13 outs. So the stuff is there, and and I I've seen you know gifts of his his pitches, and they're they're still moving all over the place. They're they're beautiful, and so like if he can harness that, if he can deal with what people you know narrative wise have termed the mental side of the game, I I think he'll turn out fine after all. Yeah, I think it's a it's a matter of getting the ball to go exactly where he wants it. He's throwing a lot of strikes and he's getting strikeouts. But there are times where, you know, the strikeout isn't a quality strike or the strike isn't a quality strike. So it gets hit. And then you can see he starts to get a little bit fine and he starts to miss a little bit and he starts to walk some guys and things tend to snowball on him when they don't go well. It's led to that mental midget, thing on Twitter again, which honestly, the guy came from Japan, had reconstructive elbow surgery, and has pitched pretty damn well afterwards. There's, like, the mental midget stuff is ridiculous. Yeah. I did uh, did read uh, someone say that, like, he shook off Wilson Contreras quite a bit, and so I believe there might be a loss in translation between two guys who where English isn't their mate, their primary language, and so 
like if if they have more time together, I feel like they will get on the same page. And then like with more experience, with more time in the video room, with more time in the bullpens, like he's going to learn to catch him better. Uh, Darvish is going to learn to trust him more. And it, it's like, I don't see Wilson having the same trouble with the other starters, but he's also had much more time with the other starters. Maybe that's, that's the thing. It, it's kind of, from an outsider's point of view, it's easy for me to just make up stuff like that and try to fit a narrative, but I feel like there's some, some validity to it. And there probably is just because of their lack of experience together and those things correct themselves with time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, again, we've seen, we've seen Wilson Contreras catch him when he's pitched extremely well against Milwaukee a couple times. Yeah. So I'm I'm yeah, I'm not terribly concerned about either of them. I know that Wilson's got work to do in development as a catcher, and you Darvish is exceptionally difficult to catch just because his ball moves all over the place. I do feel like those are things that will work themselves out. It's It's definitely entirely too early to suspect that they won't work themselves out. The beauty and the history in this cathedral the sky so blue against the grass so green like time stood still for so switching gears a little bit i was looking at the standings and uh there are four teams in major league baseball right now that are under 300 uh so that's under 0. 0.300 for you lay people uh baltimore is 14 games behind Boston in the AL East, and they've only played 30 games. That's impressive. (laughs) Uh, They're they're low right now. They're at point uh, two six seven. Obviously, Cincinnati is worse. They are now 11.5 games behind Milwaukee in the NL Central. They're at uh, 226 at 7.24. I got two AL Central teams. I got the Royals at Nine and twenty-two, and the White Sox, which is surprising to me. I thought they would be better than this. They're at eight and twenty, so that's four tankers right there, and uh, that doesn't include the obvious tankers like uh, Miami should be tanking. Uh, San Diego sign Eric Hosmer. They obviously don't want to like legitimately tank, but they are. They're eleven twenty-one. There are some very very bad teams in here. So first things first, like we got to be very fortunate and grateful that the Cubs aren't one of them. But second thing is like, there's gotta be a way to stop all this uh, major tanking. And I guess some of it has to do with the way the playoffs are set up or the CBA is set up. But uh, yeah, it's really ridiculous how bad some of these teams are. Yeah. I'm kind of looking at standings here too. And, you know, I'm, I'm surprised about the White Sox. I thought they wouldn't be quite so bad. Um, you know, even you know, I'm surprised about the Pirates at three games over 500. Yeah. But you look at, I mean, you look at the the standings now, and I try to, I try to say it over and over and over again that, you know, really until you get to Memorial Day, the standings don't matter. Because mm-hmm. you know, any team can have one of those those 30 game samples where they're really bad or you know, conversely, really good. I think, you know, the the Cubs a couple of years ago, they won 103 games and they were, you know, they lost like 15 out of 20 games or some craziness. That's 10 games under 500. Right. And they, 
they looked horrific in that time period. Uh-huh. So, so some of these samples, like you look and it, it's hard to make any sweeping judgments. There are some teams that are bad that you thought would be bad. Uh-huh. And, you know, there's not really a surprise, but does anybody think that we're going to have three, four, five teams that have like sub 400 winning percentages? I don't think so. Cause those are, those are hundred game losers. And that's, that's a really bad baseball team. Yeah. And I guess that com- comes into play because of the way uh, draft the draft works. Uh, it's not based on a lottery system. It's based on straight up, this is your record. You are bad. Therefore, we will give you the first pick. I was reading uh, this really cool article from Sam Miller. I don't think this will ever happen, but he suggested a system where come September, every team essentially makes the playoffs and in order to make this work, you're you're essentially uh, incentivizing teams to not be bad and to always compete so that they can get like incrementally better odds of reaching and winning the World Series. So we don't want anything so radical. Like I think right now having like 10 teams in the playoffs is more than enough. That's one third of the the league and I guess eventually because baseball's thinking of uh expanding to thirty two teams, you want to get an extra team so that you can get like maybe two wild card playing games and then you set up uh a a uh traditional four team division series uh in each league after the wild cards are done beating up on each other. But yeah, there's gotta be a way to make it so like teams aren't so obviously bad, uh, even like when you get closer to the trade deadline, because by the time you're in mid-May or early June, you already know who's probably going to sell. And that's, that's kind of like not what we want. Uh, I think it's good for fans in general to know or hope that their team is in it for the long haul. Uh, and, you know, they might be playing meaningful baseball in September and not just going through the motions. So I'm kind of in favor of anti-tanking. I get it. Like, I totally get the anti-tanking thing. I actually don't have a problem with it. I don't have a problem with with some of the race to the bottom. Yeah. In some ways, I don't have a problem with it because when it's done correctly, it works. Mm-hmm. You know, we saw... We saw the Houston Astros live there for for a good long while, like even longer than the Cubs rebuild, and it turned out okay for them. You know, the, the, the defending World Series champion figured it out, and their tanking turned out to to benefit them. Mm-hmm. The same with the Cubs. The Cubs, you know, they took essentially three years, and they stopped trying. And it turned out that that led to three consecutive NLCS appearances and a world championship. Yeah. So when when the tanking is done right, and I'm not even necessarily so sure that it's tanking, but when you focus on building an organization from the bottom up, where the goal is to make sure that you have a lot of young talent to mm-hmm. where you can 
you can use it at the major league level. You can use it to acquire additional pieces to help at the major league level. You know, things of those nature. Because even if you look at the Cubs, you know, they acquired all this talent. They had all these guys. They didn't all pan out. They, you look at guys like Arizmendi Alcantara, he's somewhere, probably mm-hmm. in the minor leagues. Uh, Jorge Soler was traded pretty inexpensively for a year away Davis, who they no longer have. You know, Jorge Soler is actually playing fairly well. Right. Just done some cursory looks at the Royals lately. Yeah, he's uh, finally figured it out. So, like, when when I looked today, like, I think Labor Torres had the game-winning hit uh, against Houston today. So the Yankees, I believe, beat Houston in the series uh, this time around. And it's just like, man, look at all these guys. They're doing so well. Uh, Christian Villanueva has finally figured it out. And then you realize, well, where were they going to play anyway? And so it's one of those things where it did work out for the Cubs. It worked out for the teams that these new guys are on now. And you, you kind of feel sad, but at the same time, you realize that the team we have now is, is perfectly fine. Yeah, and like you talked about, Christian Villanueva, I honestly think he's he's a great example of what I was talking about, where the, where it's talent acquisition and they don't always pan out. Christian Villanueva was actually a fine minor league player and a solid prospect. He was never going to be the kind of player that Chris Bryant is. Mm-hmm. But I believe when the Cubs acquired him, A, he was the primary piece returned for Ryan Dempster, and I believe he was Baseball America's number 100 overall prospect. Mm-hmm. So he was he was kind of the trophy in that trade. Now, he went ahead and drafted Chris Bryant, and then, you know, the throw-in, probably not the right word, in Kyle Hendricks turned into an ERA champion later on. Um, you know, you look at at trade, like the Matt Garza trade is another great example. You know, I think Carl Edwards Jr. was probably the the centerpiece just because of the pure stuff. Mm-hmm. He was supposed to be a starter. They, you know, after seeing him pitch, they realized, you know, A, he doesn't have the the build for it and he doesn't really have the command for it but they added a a bunch of other pieces in that trade you know they added Mike Olt who showed some flashes but never really caught on Mm -hmm. Justin Grimm had Justin Grimm was excellent in 2015 and you know he was solid in 2016 you know he had a he had a bad run but he was solid and then you know he tapered off as so, like, the, it, it's always been about talent acquisition when you tank. Yeah. And, and for some of these teams, like the White Sox, like, yeah, they're 8-20 and 20 right now as I look at baseball reference. But so that's, a, like, you look at their minor league system, and they're in really good shape as an organization. So they should feel as good about themselves, really, as the Cubs did about themselves in 2014. Yeah, and I, I feel like uh, one of the things that I 
I, I hear a lot about, especially with all the stuff that's probably going to happen in advance of the next big negotiations, is the possibility of shortening the season to allow players to just have a little bit more off time so that their bodies can recover. Because baseball, like, it looks slow, it looks easy, but it's really not. Like, you have to have so much stress on your body waiting for the next pitch. You always have to go the extra mile. You've got to swing really hard to catch up to the new velocity. you got to, you know, work that body really well to get the ball on defense. So it's like there, there's a lot of stress being put on the body over 162 games, and not to mention the weather. So obviously players like Anthony Rizzo and Alvaro Amora have chimed in on that. And I feel like a lot of even team execs and other players are interested in not just more off days, but just fewer games in general because they feel like 162 games is too much baseball. Uh, my point of view is, as a fan, I would like as much baseball as possible, but I totally understand from their point of view where this is their body, this is how they make their money, this is how they make their livelihood, and if I can preserve my body – I can earn more money uh, in the long run. So I guess what I'm asking is, do you think 162 games is too much? And if so, how do they go about fixing this to make everybody happy? I'm not sure it's too much. Um, You know, baseball was never one of the games that I played a ton of. I do understand that baseball is taxing. You know, people – People who don't fundamentally understand baseball are like, oh, they're just standing around out there. Like, A, if you're playing during the day and it's a it's a warm, sunny day, like you do that, like the Cubs on a weekend at home where they're playing Friday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, Sunday afternoon. Like, as a guy who stands in the sun for a living, like, that gets kind of old. So just from that perspective, you know, like there's – there's some stamina reduction just in that. Yeah. Uh, I do think that there needs to be more off days. I think Anthony Rizzo made some great points about, you know, shortening the season where he doesn't expect it to happen because the money and working out the money is, is really hard. You know, everything's based on a 162 game schedule right now. So to shorten that would, would be a real challenge. But he did make some great points about scheduling double headers in conjunction with off days. You know what? I'm all for bringing back the Sunday double header and then making Monday an off day. That would be awesome. Yeah. Do you think there'd be enough room to squeeze uh, squeeze all those Monday, off Mondays and make I don't, like? I don't, think, I don't think we'd be seeing it every week. I don't think that's hmm. feasible in that length of schedule, but. I also wouldn't mind them starting the season, you know, a week earlier. Like they started at March 29th this year. I know, you know, it's traditionally that first week of April. If you start it around the 26th or, you know, the last Monday in March. Yeah. I don't see any reason why that wouldn't work. Yeah. Uh, The issue, I guess, is the very poor weather in Northern cities and also uh, the, I guess the difficulty in always making sure that you schedule all those early seat, early seat or first week series in warm weather or dome cities, and you, 
even so, you recognize that, well, just because you're a dome doesn't mean you're safe because, like, I, I recall Milwaukee uh, and Miller Park having a rain delay because they couldn't get the roof closed. Or, you know, there's just a season, the Toronto Blue Jays, their, their uh, stadium got damaged because ice fell off the CN Tower. So, like, a roof isn't going to help you. And also, like, you have to try to be fair to to other cities like you can't always start the season in a select group of cities but uh, I also feel like this particular April is just a really bad fluke like we had so many rainouts, and it's not just in Major League Baseball it's in our like own fields like college and and high school have had a lot of series rained out as well like uh, today the Blue Jays are playing two straight games in Cleveland uh, as a doubleheader because they got their weekend series and Cleveland rained out. So it's it's one of those things where you don't really anticipate that the weather is going to be so bad. And so maybe your idea would work in most years. Just make sure they start in March. And I did see someone once upon a time suggest that they open the season in, in spring training sites, but that also uh, – brings a lot of problems because if you're doing it in spring training sites, considering that most of them are shared facilities between teams, especially in the Cactus League, uh, I don't know how that's going to work. So, yeah, it's one of those problems that doesn't have a quick fix, but uh, I I guess they'll just have to go with the status quo and deal with it as it comes. Yeah, I think this year was a was a real fluke. It was the bitter cold and the snow that lasted so deep into April. And you know, it's not usually like this. And we've seen that they're willing to play in some colder weather, you know, 40s, you know, windy in Chicago. I don't think anybody actually liked it, but they did play. <laughs> no, they, they absolutely don't like it. Nobody likes it. Fans don't like it. Players don't like it. Coaches don't like it. It's hard to play, but mm-hmm. the the opportunity is there. And if it means you get a day off in July that you wouldn't have had, or in August that you wouldn't have had, I think you could sell the players on it. I like the idea of you know same number of games, start earlier, add some double headers, and you know like these four game series that you traditionally see. Thursday through Sunday or Monday through Thursday. Why can't they be Friday, Saturday, Sunday with a scheduled double header on Sunday and then have Monday off? So, or, you know, just, just ways to build off days into the schedule. I think you get better overall baseball at that point. And then you won't see so many uh, crazy double headers and, you know, games going until 3.30 in the morning because they got to get it in because the team's not coming back this year. And, you know, I think it was 2012 or 2013 that the Cubs and the Pirates had a first pitch at like 11 p.m. because it was the end of the season and the game had, while it didn't have any playoff implications, it had draft implications. So they played this game basically in the middle of the night in an empty Wrigley Field. <laughs> yeah. Uh Travis Wood made the start. I think the Cubs lost the game, but, you know, it's, you know, less of that kind of stuff because nobody wins in that scenario. So if you can create more off days to where those kinds of things can 
be avoided or there, there's not really much they could do like 162 games is probably the max I don't think that the players would ever want more so we're probably stuck with 162 for a good long while if they ever have expansion I guess the divisions will realign and then we'll have fewer divisional contests and maybe even less interleague especially if you know, the National League ever gets their senses and decides, hey, maybe we should just institute the DH or something. But, uh, yeah, uh, I, I guess for the time being, we just have to deal with baseball as is, and hopefully at some point the technology gets good enough so that the strikes strike zone can be called <laughs> better. But, uh, yeah, that's another story for another day. Yeah, I've uh, got we got lots of grunts on the strike zone. We don't have anywhere near that kind of time. Through the good times and the bad times, we stood beside you every day. Till now our dreams have gone unclaimed. We named the dog Indiana. Yeah. The last thing that I guess we could talk about is the great Ichiro Zuki, who, uh, I guess he did sign a one-year deal with the Mariners as a player, but now, like, I've seen Mariners Twitter gripe about it for a while. Like, he's just not good at baseball anymore, at least not to his standards. Like, he can obviously still play. He's still fast for a 44-year-old guy. He can feel pretty well. He just can't hit as well because, I guess, as as you get older, it it's like the eyesight and the bat speed are one of the first things to go. And so he's just not as good as catching up with baseballs anymore. And at some point the Mariners just said, you know what? Like we can't just flat out fire you. So this is what we'll do. We'll make you a special assistant. You'll still be with the team and you're not officially retired. uh, Because I, I guess there's a, feeling going around that because the Mariners are opening a series in Japan next year that Ichiro might go out as a player and and that will be like his last series at the age of 45 but uh, I I guess that's the classiest and most appropriate way for the Mariners to deal with this situation so that they're not like really cutting a franchise icon loose but they're also not having to deal with like a dead dead spot on their roster either, especially since like they're actually contending now. Uh, yeah, I saw that Ichiro wouldn't return to their roster this season. Um, you know, growing up, Ichiro was one of my favorite players, which is ridiculous for me to kind of say because I'm creeping up on 33 years old which kind of says something about how long Ichiro has been around. I think he debuted with the Mariners in like 2001. Yeah, that was when he won the Rookie of the Year and the MVP. Uh, I kind of thought that Jason Giambi should have won the MVP, but, you know, I I was an A's fan, so it's one of those things. But uh, I I guess if anybody had to win other than Giambi, it might as well be Ichiro because he was insane. Like, this is his first year out of Japan, and he's batting way over 300. He's getting tons of hits. He's stealing bases left and right, and he's playing gold glove defense. Like, you you can't really beat that too much. Yeah, just just watching Ichiro play, he was kind of a refreshingly different type of player in, you know, the early 2000s. Because you think – 
you think about who the other right fielders were in the game at that time, you know, in 2001, that's right around the time Manny Ramirez goes to Boston. Yeah. Um, you know, Sammy Sosa is, is kind of in his heyday in Chicago in 2001 when Ichiro debuts and you see Ichiro, he's not a power guy. He's a slap hitter going gap to gap and, uh, he's halfway to first base by the time, you know, the he the ball kind of gets struck. You know, just the way he played was so different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think you know Ichiro's forty four now, so Father Time is undefeated. Yeah, uh, that's really Ichiro, unfortunate. Yeah, Ichiro has given as good a run against Father Time as as a probably any athlete. Especially, you know, like a like a position player in baseball. I know Jamie Moyer played until he was about 194 years old. Yeah. But Julio Franco's but, probably still playing somewhere. Yeah, I think I think Julio Franco is probably playing baseball against his grandchildren at this point. Yeah. Um, Ricky like Henderson's probably that, out that there. <laughs> for a guy that plays like Ichiro plays to have played this long is, is genuinely incredible and. And honest to God is one of my favorite players just as just as a baseball fan to have watched him from Seattle to the Yankees and the Marlins. Uh no, no back to Seattle again. Yeah. Yeah. Really yeah. glad he ended up back in Seattle. Really wish that he would have been in Seattle when Ken Griffey Junior went back to see him in the same outfield if for just a, a few games, but you know, it's it's kind of a young guy's game now. So yeah. for each of the last that he has is, is genuinely remarkable. And hopefully, you know, we get to see him at least one more time on the field. But I, I think we're probably seeing or have seen just about the last of Ichiro. Yeah. Uh, it's kind of unfortunate too because I know that as an AL All Star, he used to give these really famous speeches that never aired. You keep hearing about how he he just goes nuts, and his English for a non-native speaker apparently is pretty darn good. So when he made that speech, like you know, the AL players loved it, and it was too bad that the well, I guess it's not too bad, but unfortunately the NL didn't just give him like a token invite and made made sure that the NL guys heard it at least once. But, you know, ultimately when it comes down to it, you're talking about a guy who came in like way late in his career, uh, although he was only, I guess, like what, 27 or 28 when he came over. He, he still got 3,000 MLB hits, and that's something to – be impressed with because like not everybody obviously has the 3000 hits and this guy came over like six years after most like uh 3000 hit guys would would have debuted and he still got his 3000 hits he still got his 500 stolen bases he's still like a 300 career hitter it's incredible like how good of a player he was yeah absolutely um i guess the the news released today is that 2019 is yet to evolve. Mm-hmm. I think that's the word. Those are the words that were used um, by Ichiro's agent, actually. Um, so we'll see. But 
you know, for me, I hope this that today starts a five-year clock on him to be a Hall of Famer. Uh, I know I have an IBWAA vote, and I definitely look forward to the day where I can mark Ichiro on that ballot, and hopefully yeah. 2023 instead of 2024. Yeah. You know, the sooner the sooner we put Ichiro in the Hall of Fame, honestly, the better for baseball and baseball fans. Yeah, because, like, you can imagine how much tourism is going to happen in Cooperstown the day he's inducted. Like, half of Japan is going to be there. It's, like, probably not even an exaggeration on my part because he's such a cultural icon there. Uh, Yeah, I mean, he's – you know, I was in Korea last year, and you even saw – you know, the Koreans and Japanese have a little bit of a a longstanding – displeasure with each other but you know you you would still see the occasional Ichiro jersey and you know I had questions because as mostly ignorant American white guy on on Asian feuding culture I was like I thought Korean people didn't like Japanese people but there's a Korean guy wearing an Ichiro jersey which to me was kind of crazy yeah but I guess uh, good baseball transcends uh, nationality and ethnicity. Like, you just recognize that this guy is good mm-hmm. at baseball, and you you kind of have to be a fan. Like, I know, for me, I, I do not hit with power. I just try to slap the ball. And so, I, you know, whenever I play baseball or softball, I just try to do my best each your own impression and hope that I can get the ball in play somehow because I know I can't hit it over an outfielder, but I can, like, drive it on a line, like, into the outfield and just get myself on base. And that's what Ichiro did most of the time. Like, he'll hit hit the occasional home run because he has the power. He's a very strong guy. Like, you know because of how strong and accurate his arm is that he is a strong man. But, uh, yeah, like, he's just one of those guys who says, well, I could hit a home run, but I'd rather just get on base, you know. It's a very interesting philosophy for the the guy, and it just works so well for him. I got to go to one game and see Ichiro play live, and I was fortunate enough to be there for batting practice. I don't know how Ichiro didn't hit more home runs as a Major League Baseball player. Um you know, we're we're in the launch angle era right now. If Ichiro put more loft under the ball and had a different launch angle, Ichiro probably could have hit three hundred home runs as a major league baseball player. Yeah. He has he has some of the most understated, not seen in games power that you know, you just watch him take batting practice and he could he could pepper the bleachers with baseballs and you'd it was genuinely incredible because you, you see Ichiro play and the way his swing was and how how he performed in games, and then you see him in batting practice, and he could legitimately bust out the driver. And uh, I could talk about Ichiro for hours because the guy was, was an insane baseball player. Just everything about his game was was incredibly fun to watch. And yeah. it's a... It's a sad day for baseball fans of my age because oh, yeah. we're we're losing our guys a little bit, but uh, 
it's really cool that, you know, some of the next generations of, of younger guys, like I know my nephew is a baseball fan, so it's cool that a kid that was born around the time that Ichiro debuted got to see him until basically the time he's getting set to – I think yeah. he's going to be senior in high school next year. Yeah. yeah uh, I, I just feel like he didn't hit home runs because he just simply didn't want to. He's like one of those guys who's like, I'm going to do it my way, and, you know, if I have to hit the occasional home run, so be it. And he actually did have over 100 home runs, which in itself is pretty impressive because, you know, a vast majority of the players in Major League history don't have 100 home runs. So that's quite a milestone to have under your belt in addition to all the accolades that he has has earned. So, yeah. Yeah, 100 home runs and – in how many years are we? Seventeen? Like yeah, it's either seventeen or eighteen. Yeah. Yeah, eighteen, hundred and seventeen career home runs in eighteen seasons, including this one. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, but his career high was fifteen. He hit that in two thousand five. Mm-hmm. Uh, he had another eleven home run season in two thousand nine. Otherwise, he didn't hit. You know, two thousand three, he hit thirteen. Otherwise, it's eight, nine, six. Yeah. But I bet the I think he could consistently hit between fifteen and twenty as a major league baseball player. Yeah. You know, his, I I really wish that Statcast was around for like prime Ichiro just to because like his ball it had it had some authority behind it and it's it's crazy like you look at his OPSs uh, in two thousand four his OPS was eight sixty nine. Eight fifty one in two thousand nine. So like the guy, the the guy could could slug. He got on base. Um, yeah. No lot. Uh, let's see here. He slugged four fifty seven his first year. Four fifty five in two thousand. So like like he wasn't he wasn't a slap singles hitter. Like he he was going and getting extra base hits. Yeah, I, I bet there were years where he had more triples than home runs, huh? Well, there were there were several years where it was equal. His first three years as a Major League Baseball player, he had eight triples each year. He had 12 of them in 2005 with 15 home runs. Yeah. He had more, he had more triples and home runs combined than doubles. You know, he had 21 doubles that year. So, huh. like, you you look at it and – that 436 slugging percentage looks pretty legitimate. Right. In terms of power. So, yeah, I'm definitely fanboying Ichiro, and, you know, he he deserves it because he's he's genuinely great. And as you raise that flag forever, only you can lay the flame. In our hearts will burn the fire. I believe that's all the time we have for this one. Uh, thanks again for hanging out, man. Like, I really appreciate you as always. Uh, you can find Andy on Twitter at. I'm at behind underscore the underscore Ivy. Yep. And uh, I guess we've all been super busy lately. Like, I know I have been, like, between teaching and coaching and hanging out with the family. Like, uh, we don't do this as much as we could but uh, i think like come the summertime when 
school lets out and the draft is here, like we'll have a lot more things to say. But uh, for the time being, you know, this is a hobby and we appreciate everybody hanging out with us. Uh, we're at worldseriesdreaming.com. That's our blog. We can find us on Facebook. Uh, the official World Series Dreaming Twitter is WSDreaming underscore Cubs. That's at WSDreaming underscore Cubs. Please email us at WorldSeriesDreaming at gmail.com. And, of course, you can rate us on iTunes and share us with your friends. I can be found at Cubic Snarconia, and we'd like to thank Rich Deanna for our theme song and Randall Sanders for our final out call from Pat Hughes, reminding everybody that the Cubs did indeed win the World Series. Any last words, sir? Uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Look forward to doing this again probably after I move into my house. Hey, you week. finally got there. All right. Uh, congratulations, man. Yeah, I, I hope it's everything you dreamed of and that you're able to set up that man cave that you always wanted. <laughs> Yeah, it's enormous. I'm going to put a great big TV in there and throw things at it when the Cubs don't drive in runners from third. Yeah, you might want to put a net in there like they do in front of the Jumbotron yeah, so that, you netting. know. <laughs> yeah, get some netting. All right, thanks again for listening, and go Cubs. It was more than just a game.